Welcome to the About Sex Podcast. I'm Joshua Skirtu, and with me, as always, is Angela Skirtu. Hi, Angela. Hi, Josh. How are you? I'm good. Who are you? I'm a, I'm a licensed marriage therapist in the state of Missouri, and I'm an sex certified sex therapist. Awesome. And today, we have with us Kevin Patterson. Kevin is the curator of the interview series Blog Poly Role Models. It's part of an effort to fix the lack of diversity with which ethical non-monogamy is typically represented. The blog has spun into speaking engagements across the country about the intersection of race and polyamory. Kevin hopes his efforts change the landscape in regards to the creation of inclusive environments. Hey, Kevin, thanks for joining us. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. Yeah, thanks for joining and us. This I want to say you're actually our first long-distance interview. So yeah. for those listeners who are used to our live recordings... This is done long distance, so you're going to hear a little bit of yeah. that phone sound. Yeah. <laughs> but we're glad that you could join us. Yeah. So, Kevin, tell us a little bit yeah. about what you're doing with this poly role models thing. Well, it was a. Uh, I wanted to sort of model uh, a little bit like um, Humans of New York and uh, Aisha Tyler's. Um, book series uh, or I style was books self-inflicted wounds where I wanted to be able to have people telling their own stories I mean anytime you have media representation of polyamory it's always shot through like this really monogamous lens and mm-hmm. it's you know what monogamous people feel that polyamory is and it's always done as this sort of freak show this circuit you know this circus for the norm sort of thing right. so I wanted to give a platform for people to tell their own real stories and so you can see that like polyamory can be hot it can be boring it can be asexual it can be mega sexual <laughs> it can be also, boring but it can be boring <laughs> how can it be boring <laughs> it can be boring do tell, tell us <laughs> i mean like like my polyamory goes back and forth where yeah. like do I have a lot of wild nights? Yes, I do. But do I have a lot of nights where I'm just hanging on the couch watching Black Mirror for the millionth time? Yes, I do. <laughs> All right, so you're a person like anybody else, it sounds like. <laughs> yeah. You're um, also yeah, human. It's like I'm a human being. Yeah. What? No Almost way. human, definitely. <laughs> That's totally untrue. No, I'm just kidding. He's human. All right, well, so tell us a little bit about, like, the, right, what, so what why why do you mean a lack of diversity? Is it oh yeah? Is it is it? No, are you talking about uh, race? Or are you talking about more like monogamous people are the ones who are in the media talking about it? Yes and yes. Yes and um, yes. Everything. I was in a I was in a article um, in the New York Times back in May. Yeah. I it was it was called is a is um is an open marriage a happier marriage and it was written from the lens of unhappily married monogamous couples who were <laughs> trying to open it up to yeah. to spice up or save their their floundering marriages right. and that's not my story at all yeah. but my words weren't really even used in that piece mm-hmm. like my black face was used to say that we've got some diversity but it was mostly white folks mostly the most of the narrative was sad people trying to spice it up right. so you were and the token black guy for the article <laughs> yes i was yeah my wife and i were the token black couple and mm-hmm. the way it the way it looked is the way it always looks like this yeah. was supposed to be like this groundbreaking big piece like 12 or thirteen thousand words but it was essentially the same thing we always get yeah and it was look at these sad people look how you know look how like, let, let's laugh at their pain <laughs> i mean that wasn't what the way it was written but that's what it became anyway yeah i've noticed that like a lot of reporters like when they interview angela for something like they have a 
goal. They already have their thesis set before they even interview you. So if your thesis, if what you're telling them doesn't fit it, they'll just talk to somebody else. Well, and I want to put the research out there on this. I actually did a training recently on this. And so after the first year of poly, the outcomes for poly versus um, monogamous relationships are exactly the same. Why the first year counts is that for people who are first starting poly, a lot of them are those people sad are people those who sad are people trying to fix their marriage. That are um, trying it out for the first time and are not really going to get good at it. Or if it's your first time in a poly relationship, you're getting used to it. But once you get past that first year, it turns out like the outcomes are the same for everybody. Um, yeah. Same amount of divorce, same amount of people living long term in the so, relationship. So the people are going in there and trying to change to poly to fix their marriage. How does that work out? <laughs> yeah, and from what I understand, the people who, uh, the anonymous people who who carry the bulk of the narrative in that uh, in that story, yeah. from what I hear, they're not together anymore. Uh, Whereas uh, my wife and I, we're 15 year veterans. Yeah. And our words weren't in that article really. Um, so that's it tells the story that they meant to tell. Yeah. Where if they wanted to tell about, you know, people who were making this thing work, they could have used more than just a sentence of mine and a sentence of my life, you know? Yeah. What do you think? So I've heard this and I'm curious about your thoughts on it. Do you think that it is easier to start as a poly couple or easier just to go from monogamy to poly and why? What's the difference from you? I think it's easier to, to start there because whenever you have, whenever you're, whenever, I think it's easier to start with non-monogamy just because when you, if I have a relationship with someone, if I meet someone who is non-monogamous actively and I'm non-monogamous actively, when we start out, we have conversations about what our boundaries are, what we're looking for. Like, what does your polyamory look like? What does mine look like? How do we fit them together? Whereas if you're if you if I meet someone who is monogamous and we're trying to open it up, we're going into a world with a whole new culture. We're going to a world with all new language. We're learning. We're, we're learning and unlearning all these new things at once, and it's not an easy thing. Like even as a 15 year veteran of non monogamy, I'm still unlearning some of some of my monogamous programming that I've gotten through. <laughs> Every Disney movie and every family-based <laughs> sitcom that I've ever watched. I knew it was all Disney. Disney's fault. always trying to get us to buy a De Beers diamond. I knew I it. Know. Uh. Yeah. <laughs> well, so what I mean, are some I, things I that you're Frozen having to unlearn? Anna should have ended. I'm sorry. Oh, sorry. What'd you say? You, he loved Frozen. I, <laughs> I loved Frozen, and I always felt that Anna should have ended up with Kristoff and the the Game of Thrones guy who tried to murder her sister. I mean, you could have made that work. Yeah, make That's it work. Funny. I was curious what you had to unlearn from uh, not from monogamy. There was a lot of possession that happens there. I mean, like it's not supposed to be that way. It's not supposed to be possessive. Oh, but it is. But oh, we, it is. I mean, we get um. I see memes all the time on, on online and social media where it's like, "Stay away from my man, or I'll cut you." Oh you know, <laughs> wow. The, <laughs> the worst thing that a man can do is let another man make you know make his woman smile or something like really? that. If, That's if weird. If you love two women, go with the second one because if you really love the first one, you wouldn't have fallen for the second one. And you get that kind of thing so often that that it becomes a mindset that you just walk around with, and you have to unlearn that really with polyamory. Yeah. Like none of that's none of that's really necessary. Huh. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, I think the first meme is what men generally do. They're more possessive on it. And I think the second one is more women. They want they want men to be perfect and just, oh, you want to love me and not have any 
doubt. Well, and I think there's misunderstandings too. Like I think sometimes monogamous people assume that there's no jealousy in a non-monogamous relationship, which I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but that's not true. Like you're still working through jealousy at times, right? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. I mean, and a lot of it is just what you do with that. Like, if I if I'm feeling jealous that my you know, that my partner is doing whatever, I could try to bully her behavior, or I can decide like, why am I feeling this way? Why you know what is important? Where are my fears and insecurities happening here? And what can I do within myself to solve that problem? Like I can own it rather than trying to put it off on whoever I'm seeing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Interesting. So. Uh- you're also talk. You also talk a lot about race and polyamory. Um, so, how does race come into poly? Like, is it different for somebody who's black versus somebody who's white? Like, what what do you what do you exactly talk about during your speaking engagements? Well, there's there's a lot of barriers for entry, and like it's a thing with polyamory groups because it ends up being so so niche that sometimes people feel like if I've got a community, if I hold an event, if I hold a happy hour, if I hold a potluck, and I get twenty people there, then you don't really have to think about the you know it's like hey this was a good turnout, and you don't really have to think about the demographic, and it could be as simple as we had this event in a place where black folks don't really hang out mm-hmm. and now you don't have any black folks there. You know, it could be something as simple as, um, one black person appears and someone says something to them that they feel that they think is welcoming, but that black person regards as hostile, unwelcoming, fetishizing, othering, mm. and now they don't show up anymore. Yeah. Huh. So there's a little bit of segregation among the poly world as well. Yeah, and it's not something that people mean to do. You know, mm-hmm. people people are usually, at least my experience with polyamory, polyamorous folks is that they're usually pretty well-meaning and they mean to be welcoming. Mm-hmm. But a lot of times, they, they, you know, they, uh, we come across as off-putting and we push people out, you know? Like, I spent almost two years being, like, one of the only black people who would show up to events in the Philadelphia area. And Philadelphia is about 43, 44, 45% black. That's a big city. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) You're representing all of the black people. Do you think that black people kind of um, like do, I don't know exactly how to ask this. Like, are there a lot of black people in the poly community or is there some challenges with the culture in becoming open or non-monogamous? Do you think? I mean, there, there are, what's it called? There are cultural, there are cultural challenges. Like every once in a while, like we'll get some new terminology, you know, um, whether it be like side piece or jump off or, you know, um, OPP, if you remember the old naughty by nature song, yeah. and, you know, but like, wait, what's OPP? Other people's property. <laughs> it, it's other people's property. And I didn't know that. I mean, a couple of different things. <laughs> I remembered it cause I loved that time. <laughs> The music was great. It, was, it was the song of that summer. <laughs> yes, yes. But continue. <laughs> but uh, a lot, a, a lot of times, like if we don't get the resources, if, if we don't get the resources to know that, hey, there's more to this than just being unethically non-monogamous. Mm-hmm. Sometimes you st- you stay there. Yeah. And then mm-hmm. when you have these representation problems, where polyamory, whenever it shows up in media, is shown as something that white folks do and the representation is almost universally white folks it becomes really easy to self-limit and decide 
maybe this is something that black folks don't do. I mean, there's a brilliant show on uh, on HBO right now called Insecure, and in the second season, they wade into non-monogamy, and one of the first things that uh, one of the first things that the main character says is. Isn't that what white people do? That's not how she phrased it. But the way she phrased it is actually a chapter in the book that I've written about the way race and polyamory uh, interact. That's funny. Isn't that what where As soon as I saw the episode, I, I tweeted at her and I said, hey, you just quoted my, my, book, my book chapter because this is how we're represented. Yeah, that's funny. Wow, that's so interesting. So, like, um, we had somebody on a couple se- seasons ago or a sep- couple episodes where they basically said that um, uh, black people, like, in, in some of the poly communities here, they can be open sexually, but sometimes they are racist. And that's kind of a weird yes. divide. Yeah. <laughs> I find it odd that people can be very open sexually, but not open to race. <laughs> Do you find it that way or is it different well, I think a lo- I think some people don't even realize they're racist. Like... Yeah, it, like he said, sometimes it's an unintentional thing. Yeah, like some people are just, they just don't know any better. They're just ignorant. They just weren't taught. That doesn't mean you shouldn't learn, though. I know. That's what (laughs) ignorant means. It's that they don't know any better. (laughs) It's like, yeah. What are your thoughts on this, Kevin? (laughs) I know there's a... There's a lot of study um, about how we form attractions, mm-hmm. and one of the one of the main one of the main um, elements of how we form attraction is perceived social status. We, you know, we, we look at somebody, we have a gut reaction that's based on perceived social status, and that forms attraction from there on down the line. So a lot of it ends up being. I, you know, you look at a black person, your mind makes a, a, a judgment on, again, perceived social status, and then you're attracted or you're not. And then you find ways to justify that in words, even though it's just a gut reaction. And what that ends up turning into is, I don't date black guys, but it's just a preference. I'm not racist, but I'm just, it's just a preference. Meanwhile, that whole perceived social status is informed by racism. It's informed by white supremacy in mm-hmm. American society. Oh, yeah. You know, if all you if if you can look at like I'm a handsome dude, David Wraith was on your show. Yeah. He's a handsome dude. Yeah. Idris Elba's a handsome dude. You know, there's a lot of handsome dudes who don't look anything alike, who mm-hmm. don't have any similar backgrounds, <clears throat> who aren't you know, who aren't similar in any way. But we're all black. And if you can't find any single one of us attractive. All of us handsome guys. Well, and I hear you're all well endowed, right? (laughs) Yeah, I mean, there's there's fetishization like that as well. I'm just teasing by that way. (laughs) I got a whole chapter about that too. Oh, you do? Yeah. Well, you know, I am curious because this might have a ring true to fetishism. Like, so you mentioned that earlier, and I guess what's the difference between fetishism and um, maybe just liking black guys? <laughs> I'm just curious how that like intersects too. <laughs> I mean, it, it's it's all wrapped up in it's all wrapped up in the same thing. Like, we we get these preconceived notions, and and they're they're based on they're based on racism, they're based on white supremacy, they're based on media representation and pop culture. We get these preconceived notions about what is and what isn't, and then we end up making our judgments on like real human beings based on that. Mm-hmm. Where like I'm into a lot of different things. I love sports. I love video games. I watch sci-fi all the time. You know, I, I'm a distance runner. Like you know, sounds like a regular, regular guy. Yeah. What's that? Sound like a re- said, regular sounds like guy. Us. We love all those things. That yeah. sounds great. Sci-fi is awesome. Yeah. yeah. 
Yeah, and like there's a lot of different ways to engage me in, in terms of common interests. Mm-hmm. And if what you bring to me when you try to say, like when you try to approach me about being interested is big black cock. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, do you people know? actually approach you? Wait, like, do people do They that? start out instead of saying, hey, you like to play video games? They say, hey, I hear you have a large dick. Like, is that really how they <laughs> st- start a conversation? Have you been hit on that way? <laughs> I, ha- I have. Wow. I have. And it never, goes as, it never goes as well as they hope it's going to go. Yeah, what do they like, think? I'm, You're going to be like, oh, you like me. Immediately drop your pants. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, like I'm, I'm, I'm not, I'm not a sideshow. I'm, no. I'm not a, a I'm not a, a, a stamp on your ethnicity passport. Like right. I'm, I'm not interested <laughs> in that at all. No, you're a person. Yeah, and I mean every every black woman I know has heard some variation of the line, "You're pretty for a black girl," or "I've never been with a black girl," or you know, I've. Um, you know, so, some variation on that. Like right. every 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 black woman I know has heard that before. I've never been with one of you before. You know, like <sighs> like someone wants to be like very another person. Journey, <laughs> you know. Yeah, that's silly. Weird. Yeah. Huh. <laughs> you have you have something on there. We wanted to ask you about Colorado. I heard there yeah. was a weird story in something Colorado. in Denver. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was um like I was at a conference there um last year, and I get there and uh, I run into uh, I run into a sex educator uh, Reed Mahalko, and he sees me and he sees that I'm dead tired and he suggests that I skip all of the opening of the conference and and I do. It was a good idea. Like I skipped the opening, the welcoming circle, the opening keynote, the 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 opening party. I'm heading down to breakfast the next morning, and someone recognizes me from some some flashy gear that I was wearing at the party. And I'm like, I wasn't at the party. What are you recognizing? And I just sort of blow it off. I get down to breakfast, and I'm, you know, piling some bacon on my plate, and a woman comes up, wraps her arms around me, and gives me a kiss. Like, she approached me from behind, so I didn't see her coming, but she gives me a kiss on the cheek. It was a lovely kiss. I turn around. She doesn't know me. I don't know her. Wow. You know? And then, like, somebody else comes over and taps her on the shoulder and points her in the direction of another tall black guy. Uh Now, me and this other tall black guy, we do not look alike. We are aged aged at least a decade apart. Uh, I've got a full beard. He's clean shaven. He's taller than I am and darker than I am. Like, other than being tall and black and wearing glasses, we are in, like, very different glasses. We are very dissimilar (laughs) human beings. Really? That's crazy. What ends up happening is, like, me and this guy end up being like the only black dudes at this conference all weekend. And when I finally got a chance to sit down and talk with him, just, you know, just kicking it, just, you know, meeting people, networking. He, um, I realized he was the guy with the flashy gear at the party that someone else confused me for. <laughs> and as we were talking and I told him about my work, he's like, oh, wait, you're that guy with the blog that people keep asking me about. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's great. That's funny. Yeah. So people have been people have been confusing us the whole weekend, and we are not at all alike. You don't look anything alike. <laughs> wow. Not even close. Oh, wow. That's gotta be tough. Yeah. 
Yeah, I mean, and when you end up being like one of the only people of color in a space for long enough, mm-hmm. you know, it, it's, it, it gets wearing. But like part of why I show up to things is so that other people of color can show up to a, to a function, see me there and feel more comfortable. Yeah. And it's been a lot of the work that I've that I've tried to do in the Philadelphia area where the landscape looks different now than it did when I joined the community a couple of years ago. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I'd like to I'd like to think I had a hand in that. So how how large are these communities? Like um, right now, we just hit a, we just in in the community that I am uh, that I am a steward of. I we just hit a thousand members, oh, wow. and it was it was about three hundred and fifty when I joined um, around Valentine's Day, twenty fifteen. Wow, that's a big jump. Yeah, yeah, and a lot of it's happened just this year. Like we we made it easier to find and join that community, and we've made sure that we let our we let people know that you know inclusivity was a goal of ours. What yeah. kinds of um, parties do you guys host or get-togethers? Because I think a lot of people in, who are interested in the community are not sure what to what it's like, and so maybe you could give us kind of a rundown of what it looks like at one of these events. Well. um a lot of it ends up being happy hours and potlucks. I, I actually hosted a potluck in my home just yesterday where um, I always do it based on something I want to watch where the Netflix just put out a show called She's Gotta Have It, which is a an update of Spike Lee's first movie, She's Gotta Have It. And I wanted to watch it. I wanted to watch it with a bunch of people of color. So I held our community's first ever POC exclusive event and I got about 20 30 people of color here and we watched um, we watched Netflix together for about five or six hours and ate food and talked talk trash and it was pretty fantastic <laughs> sounds fun that sounds like a wonderful time okay oh, so yeah. it's like a potluck or it's a happy hour sometimes you're watching a movie sometimes there's yeah. a theme <laughs> Just you know discussion discussion groups um, okay. play parties sometimes pop up now and then mm-hmm. what's a play party um, a, a lot of it's a party with kink or um, kink or sex um, some swinging elements okay. but every once in a while those those crop up here or there yeah that's fun so yeah, absolutely I hear a question you don't like to hear is how many partners do you have? Why do you hate that question? Oh, God. <laughs> let me let me go ahead and ask it. How many partners do you have? <laughs> Just like to drive my, it home. My polyamory, my polyamory is really loosey goosey. Like I I don't have any fixed structures. I don't have any rules that I set on any of my partners or that they set on me. Interesting. Uh, and because of that, like I engage with a lot of people at a lot of different levels. So if you ask me, like, hey, who, how many people are you seeing? My only answer is a lot. <laughs> um, I, you know, people like I, I live with my wife, so I see her every day. I have partners who I see a couple of times a week, or once a week, or once a month, or you know, every you know, once a quarter, whenever our, whenever the stars align. But it's it's a lot, and. You know, if, if someone ever asked me, like, a number, I know I'm going to miss that number. I know mm-hmm. I'm going to get that number wrong because I'm not doing the math in my head. I don't really look at my partnerships in that way. Right. Well, it sounds like you're building yeah. a, a community here, too. It's like like there's more to it than just having partners, but it sounds like it's a way you socialize and connect with others, too. 
Yeah, like I, I love helping build community. I love helping people find other people. Um, there hasn't been a potluck or a party or an event that I've hosted where people didn't find other people that they would eventually go on to love. Yeah. And sometimes that other person is me, and I'm okay with that too. And you know, other times it's, hey, I like Kev, but I'm not interested in that way. That's fine. We can just be friends. I, I, I don't hold anybody. I don't hold it against anybody. Yeah. <laughs> Did David Wraith call you one of the hardest men working in hoe business? Or is that something Oh, else? boy. <laughs> he, said that, he said that to me on Instagram because my wife took a picture of me. I fell asleep at my laptop. That's funny. <laughs> And the laptop, this like the screen, never, you know, the 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 energy saver, the uh-huh. screensaver never went on because my hand was still on the touchpad, oh, uh, light, lightly brushing back and forth as I slept. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like you are a pretty hardworking man. <laughs> if you're falling yeah. asleep on your laptop, <laughs> I mean, I'm I'm always in the middle of five different projects. I love doing poly role models. Um, I. I love speaking in places, uh, not just because I like the community and the networking, but I love getting head nods from people of color when I'm saying like, hey, this is a thing that happened to me and seeing them nodding along like, yeah, that happened to me too that one time. And then them sharing their stories. (laughs) And, you know, and I I spent a lot of uh, I spent a lot of last year and early this year writing a book about about my about, you know, the intersection of race and polyamory and it's all it's all so much hard work that like I'm always in the middle of everything like how I have time to be a full service husband and father and partner and video game player I have no idea <laughs> but I make it work well, yeah. you got to have time for yourself <laughs> and video games always end at the bottom of the list well you know since yeah, you mentioned sadly. parenting I think that's something you wanted to talk about too right like There's what polyamory and parenting polyamory and parenting what's that like so what's it like to be a parent <laughs> In a poly relationship versus in a monogamous. I mean, it's, I'm 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 pretty well suited for it in that like I come from a culture of always having people around. Like I grew up with an aunt who lived with us for for several years, where she came from. She came from Guyana, where my father's family is from, and she lived with us for several years and was like enough was like a third parent to me uh, to me and my older sister. Mm-hmm. Um, there was always people in the house. We always had people over. There was always, um, you know, somebody needed to live with us for a bit because of a situation or because they just came from another country and needed to get on their feet. Mm-hmm. That was always a thing for us. So it became well suited for, for me to sort of keep that as a, as a thing through polyamory where we always have other people at the house. My kids who are small, who are seven and five, they got really good at recognizing like, oh, these are other trustworthy and responsible adults that my that my parents have around. They can pick out levels of familiarity where I've had my daughter like corner people that I was dating and ask like, hey, do you love my dad? Or hey, are, are you my dad's girlfriend? <laughs> That's that's great. So for them, it's for them, it's a norm. Like we didn't have to have like a long conversation about this is what we're doing. Mm-hmm. It's just the norm they grew up in. Like, and for them, it's just more more adults to invite to their tea parties. More adults <laughs> who are gonna sneak <laughs> snacks to them when mommy and daddy aren't looking. Right. <laughs> yeah. Do they ever have trouble with? Like, I'm curious because kids are really honest, right? And I wonder if yeah. they ever talk to their friends about that, and if there's any issues that come about as a result. <laughs> I mean, so far, so good. Okay. What I will say is 
I know something that's been a benefit is just sort of the time they're coming up in where yeah. excuse me when I was um, when I was that age when I was like in elementary school being a black kid meant I was a diversity of the school mm-hmm. whereas these kids being black doesn't really it's not the same where yeah they're the diversity but there's also adopted kids there are also kids with same-sex parents there's also kids who are um who are growing up from immigrants kids of mixed race families so when you've got a classmate with two moms and you've got a classmate with two dads having a polyam you know, a, a classmate with polyamorous parents it's not the same impact as it would have had when i was a kid back in like the early 80s I see. So it's just another one of those newfangled families. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, pretty, pretty much. I, I also think it has more exposure right now. Like when I was a kid, I knew nothing about, I didn't know the word poly or polyamory yeah. or any of that stuff or, or that people could even have. when we were kids. Well, that people even did it. Like really, like yeah. at all. Like I had, had no idea. they had partners, but the actual term poly didn't, and I don't think it came out until the 80s. See, when I was when I was younger, I thought swinging was something people did when they were old and retired. Yeah, well, like, of course, that's true. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's why they have the retirement communities in Florida, right? Exactly. <laughs> that's why. Yeah. Well, I've been I, hearing I, that, I that there's that more of a young group. Sorry, oh, what? What were you saying, Kevin? Sorry. Yeah, I, I didn't even have that much information. Um, my first exposure with any any brand of non-monogamy was an episode of uh, HBO's Taxi Cab Confessions, <laughs> where it was uh, a triad in the back of the cab talking about their experiences. And I thought, that can't be. That guy must be some sort of Jedi. There's no <laughs> anybody who can really do this sort of thing. He's a Jedi. He's a I Jedi. love that. That's true. Like he's... <laughs> It's like he has a force. Yeah. <laughs> he has a force inside in his him. Pants. It's in his pants. You're right. Yeah. <laughs> Use the force. Use the force. <laughs> I know, right? That's funny. Yeah. I like it. Yeah, well, okay. So you mentioned something earlier. I-, I heard you say something about poly role models. Is that some sort of organization or program? Um, it's a it's a blog. It's an interview series that I got started uh, a couple of years ago. It's in its third year now. Um, where I, want, I, I wanted to give a platform for people to sort of talk about their, their experiences. So it's an interview series where people express you know, how long they've been polyamorous, what they do good, what they do poorly, how do they rebound from the things that they do poorly, mm. um, how do they manage safer sex, and really importantly, what's, what, what, are their, what self-identities are important to them, and how do those self-identities impact their polyamory and i've gotten like some really awesome answers people who you know who'd say well i'm east indian or i'm trans or i'm christian or i'm a nudist or i'm bisexual and explaining what that does in effect with their polyamory and it gives people it gives people room to express something that doesn't really get expressed in a lot of different cases and it gives people who read the blog room to see themselves reflected in polyamory where i almost never see people of color in big media representation like even in that new york times article my face was in there but my story wasn't you know oh that's funny they use your face but not your story just like one sentence he said you know and then that was it (laughs) but then they showed they played the diversity card because they they had it sounds like they didn't want to show that poly could be a positive thing they only wanted to show the sad stories yeah exactly exactly so and that's that's also part of what i wanted to do like i wanted to make it 
so that it appears as imperfect. Mm-hmm. Where I, I ask a question, what do you do poorly and how do you rebound from that? Right. What, mis- what, what is your biggest mistake? Because so many times when people see something off the beaten track like non-monogamy, like polyamory, it's easy to think, if I make a mistake, I shouldn't be doing this. Right. You know how many times people get, mess up their uh, their monogamous relationships? All the time. No one ever, <laughs> yeah, no one ever says, wow, this monogamy thing might not be for me because I sucked at this relationship. Oh, no, I've said that, definitely. Well, <laughs> I'm a marriage therapist. I hear every one of those stories. And by the way, everybody struggles with problems, so y'all know. <laughs> yeah, I think yeah. when... I think when people see an alternate alternative sexual lifestyle like that, they just want to think of the fantasy of it, like, oh, it's going to be this, it's going to be sexy like this and all that. You know? But they don't yeah, think of the reality of the day in and day out. So yeah, it's interesting. It's, but it's perfectly imperfect. It's wonderfully flawed. And yeah. I, I like the idea of saying to people, you can mess this up and still be and still be great in our monogamy. You know, every so many, so often I, I nominate someone for the blog and what ends up happening is they say, well, I'm not a role model. I screwed up this many relationships. And I'm mm-hmm. like, well, somebody needs to hear that. Yeah. <laughs> somebody needs to, you know, somebody needs to hear all of your mistakes so that they feel free to make their own and not have to, you know, go back to a monogamy that doesn't suit them. And they can learn from your and mistakes. And they can learn from, yeah, I was just thinking yeah. that. And you can learn from those mistakes. I think because it's not out there in popular culture, when you make the mistake, you feel like a total failure. Like, oh my God, look what I did. I screwed everything up. But you know, even monogamous people feel that way too. You know, like you, you screwed yeah. up, I cheated or I hurt my partner. Like, I really think um, I had this this lady in my office the other day and she said, did I break him? You know, like, did I break my husband? And I said, yeah, you, you definitely did, did. Yeah. But you can come back <laughs> from that. Like we break people all the time, not because we want to hurt them, but because we love relationships them. by their very nature require <laughs> you to let in both the good and the bad, yeah. which means sometimes yeah. people are going to screw you over. You have to be vulnerable. <laughs> you have to be vulnerable. You have to yeah. learn from your mistakes and you have to try to be good to each other, mm-hmm. regardless of how you're defined. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you are not wrong. You are not wrong at all. I know. I'm always right. It's so true. <laughs> <laughs> so what are, <clears throat> can you talk a little bit about like, uh, what are some common mistakes that pretty much everybody makes oh, in the question, poly man. world? Mm-hmm. The, the, the most common mistake, really the universal mistake is communication. Yeah. Like, um, a feature of my blog, which I haven't actually kept up to date with recently, but a feature of the blog is called Cautionary Poly um, Teachable Moments in Non-Monogamous Relationships. And it's people just telling their stories, their, their sort of their horror stories and what they've learned from them or how they've been able to bounce back from those horror stories. And what I noticed in reading them is almost 100% of the time, it's people not being forthright about what they're looking for in their relationship forthright forthright about their wants and their needs sometimes people don't have the room to be to 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 tell their truth you know sometimes people want to say they want to tell their truth but know that they have a partner who wouldn't be receptive or who might punish them for being honest but you know so often one almost 100 percent of the time it's just a matter of saying what you want Hearing that you were, you know, hearing what the compromise could or couldn't be and sort of moving on from there. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And actually what I'll see with my couples uh-huh. is that like um, because they assume they can't get the real thing they want, they actually put out like a compromised honesty. 
Like they almost compromise before they put it out there. They ne- so they negotiate they, in their yeah, own they head. They negotiate in their down. head. Down. They negotiate themselves Instead down. Instead of asking for the real <laughs> thing. And so what I'll see with that honesty is even, you know, like they're just afraid. You're ashamed or, or you're worried about what your partner is going to think right. of you. So instead of just saying, you know what, I really like the idea of this. Maybe you put a half a half truth out right. there instead of saying they want to be poly they say oh that. maybe they just want one threesome or something well and that's you the know. point like then people still compromise once you put it on the table there still has to be a conversation and negotiation mm-hmm. about what's okay and what's not okay but if you don't put the original truth out there then yeah. it's really hard to get close to what you want <laughs> yeah yeah Definitely. yeah and that can be that can result in something as as um, as mature as like a long conversation about what you really want and what you're really willing to give, or it could end with like a pizza getting thrown. You know? <laughs> <laughs> That's not a common one That's for us, funny. but sure, pizzas being thrown. I don't allow yeah. pizzas in my office for that reason. <laughs> <laughs> the, the very first cautionary poly story that I posted, you know. Um, it was a couple not being clear about uh, about what their boundaries and rules were. They weren't checking in with the woman that they were dating. Mm-hmm. Um, they were there was a lot of couple privilege happening there, and w- when it came to a head, a pizza got thrown and <laughs> a relationship got broken. <laughs> oh, 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 man. Pizza got thrown. <laughs> well, and what I'll see too. So, like you were talking about, like heterosexuals or not heterosexuals? Sorry, monogamous, monogamous. people playing yeah. around with it. I get a lot of people who are exploring the idea, but who have never read anything, they haven't researched anything, and they just kind of fall into this thing, and then they come in because they realize, oh, wow, a lot of stuff happened as a result of this, mm-hmm. and my job then becomes teaching people how to have that conversation, how to decide if that is really a lifestyle they want to live, or if, or if it's not for them, because I think it's okay either way, but honesty is an important part of that conversation, and setting boundaries, like you said, like, they won't even have a boundaries conversation about, this is what's okay to me, and this is what's not okay and then people are crossing their boundaries and they're having all these fights and you're like yeah you kind of need to have more conversations before you jump into this (laughs) what are other mistakes you see happening um a lot of people go and go into it like especially people who are uh monogamous who are you know like monogamous couples that decide they want to try polyamory what i see a lot is the, the whole idea of a heterosexual appearing couple deciding to share a girlfriend mm-hmm. that happens it's it's so it happens so often it's cliche and it's uh it looks entry level and that's probably why it happens as often as it does the whole idea that if we're a couple and we bring in a woman you can explore your bisexual side and i don't have to worry about pesky pesky penises interrupting <laughs> pesky my penises. masculinity flow <laughs> i've heard that a lot yeah those men are really pesky penises are always getting in the way you know it's funny men are threatened by that by but penises? what's funny is the research shows that um the most commonly looked up porn is one woman with multiple men and what it does to your sperm is it makes your sperm count higher. The thrust of the sperm is stronger. It's thrustier <laughs> sperm. And you have better sex. You have better sex when there is a little bit of male mate competition. It brings out that caveman in you that's yeah. like, this is mine. It's competitive sex. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yep. I talk about that in my book a little bit. <laughs> yeah. Fun. It makes it like a sporting event. It's good competition. Exactly. <laughs> and it, it appears like entry level non-monogamy, but really that's one of the hardest it's one of the most difficult relationship structures to to attain mm-hmm. and to maintain. Really? And Why is that? Yeah. Well, because 
the, this couple has an idea of a person without having an actual person to fill that spot. Mm-hmm. They've got this idea of someone who will love them both equally and simultaneously and not have any real wants or desires of their own. They're not looking for a person. They're looking for a sex toy. Or right. a fantasy. Yeah. They're wanting a sex toy. So what is a normal... Uh, yeah, what, what does, does it really more, look like? What does a more common poly relationship look like? Um, a more co- a more common poly relationship right now is I don't know. Like I mean, I don't know. I don't know what's common. I know that like the most common th- the most common thing sought is that that closed triad where uh, an established couple opens it up to try to bring in you know the the stereotypical hot bi babe. <laughs> what actually gets done? most often now i'm not sure like i don't know what's uh i don't know what the big number is yeah yeah so i mean is it is it is it normally couples sharing a partner or is it normally couples having partners on their own on the side i mean i think it's i think it's um it's people moving away from the couple centric view entirely where it's it's people you know whether it's someone who is partnered where there's people who are partnered, they're dating separately, doing their own, you know, having their own relationships, or um, solo poly relationship anarchists, people who aren't who aren't focused on the couples themselves, and I think that's okay because it gets really easy to um, burden your other relationships if you're putting a if you're putting a pre-established couple before an individual relationship with someone who isn't a part of that pre-established couple. Okay. Well, and I, you know, you bring up an interesting point because even like even making friends, for example, let's go out of poly for a moment. Yeah. It's like it's actually really oh, hard God. to find friends, couple friends like where you like the guy and I oh, like the girl. Oh, I can and talk I like about this. Like so, <laughs> for the longest time, she would make friends uh, and <laughs> She would make friends with the girl. Of course, because I know people. I like people. And then I would get brought in, and all of a sudden, I have to be friends with... With the guy. With somebody I don't know at all. And usually they were jerks. I don't know why. Well, (laughs) maybe it's me. Who knows? (laughs) It could be that you're the jerk. You never know. (laughs) You never know if you're the jerk. If everybody around you is the jerk. If everybody around you is a jerk, it's likely you. (laughs) No, we just had a... We definitely, when we were first married, we had a couple of run-ins with trying to make friends as couples, Mm -hmm. and it just didn't turn out because there was always that one person who just didn't yeah, fit. Yeah, you don't they mesh with everybody. Yeah. Well, and that's the point. So, like, think of Polly, where you're in also incorporating love and sex, Well, you're also right? incorporating penises, yeah. <laughs> penises like and An insertion, yeah. <laughs> it has to be even more com- So not only do you have to be able to just get along with the person, but you also have to be comfortable with being naked around them or having sex, yeah. Yeah. That has to be a yeah. lot more difficult. It's a, it's, a, it's a hard thing to ask, and a lot of times... Uh, these pre-established couples don't realize how hard of that, how hard that is to ask of the, of the single person that they're trying to quote unquote bring into their relationship. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Do you do you notice a difference between uh, swinging communities versus poly communities? Are you in is both of those communities? I've heard there's a difference. Yes. <laughs> um, What's the difference? I'm, I'm not really a part of any swinging communities. I know there's a lot of overlap. I know there's. <laughs> I know there are a lot of people who are swingers who dabble with polyamory and a lot of polyamory folks who dabble in swinging, which is something that I've done, okay. but I, I'm not entrenched enough in any swinging communities to really have uh, anything knowledgeable or intelligent to say there. <laughs> well, can you at least explain like kind of what the difference is for the... Um, and 
a lot of it, a lot of it ends up being sort of cosmetic, but the idea is that swinging is is more sex based and less relationship minded. Um, it's more, it's a lot more, it's a lot less rom- rom- romance involved, where someone can go to a swing event, a swing party, a swing club, mm-hmm. hook up with people there, but not carry any of those emotions out with them, which is a difficult thing in my opinion. Like I'm gonna carry emotions out with everyone I'm having sex with, but sure. you're a person, I hear. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I sometimes. Um, Masquerade as a person, yes. Yeah. <laughs> on occasion. But then Polly's yeah. different. They're more about the relationship. That doesn't mean sex isn't as involved, but you do connect emotionally with the people and maybe yeah. have longer term relationships. So is there more dating and friendships involved with that, like going out, spending social yeah. time together other than just exactly. being inside each other? But I've yeah. heard, you yeah, know, it's like, interesting though. I hear swinger communities still have a type of community. Like the, a bunch of them will still group up with each other. But one of the rules I've heard is those who play together stay together. So yeah, like we in heard that swinging, from a guest. Yeah. there's an ex- the example of swinging is you're supposed to be doing it with your partner as opposed to poly. It can be both ways. That's a little bit more of the mate guarding style, I guess. I where don't you, know. Where you, well, that's kind of why the person said it, you know, when they yeah, said it. Yeah, because they're they were trying like, to. They want to still stick with their relationship, but they want to still play, so. Do you have a preference yeah. one way or the other? <laughs> um, well, like my, my polyamory is, is is really sexual. Um, I do have like a sexual relationship with all of uh, with all of my partners, and you know, but that doesn't have to be. You know, like I, I, that's how mine is. So I don't mind the swinging aspect. I don't mind keeping it casual. I don't mind like any level of involvement as long as I'm interested and she's interested. Then it's a go. Okay. But like, I also have friends who are asexual or demisexual, and they have partners, long-term partners, who they love but have zero sexual relationship with, or very limited sexual relationship with, mm-hmm. and their their polyamory is as valid as mine. Sure. Interesting. Yeah. All right. Any last questions? Because we're getting towards the end here. Uh, oh. So you mentioned earlier uh, that people do you you talk to people a little bit on your blog about how they practice safe sex. Like, what is the norm among the poly community if there is any? I don't know if there's a norm, which is which is actually kind of awesome. Like, it, which is what I like about polyamory in general that everyone's mm-hmm. sort of doing it their own way. There's no if you're honest and you're ethical, there's no real way to do it wrong as long as everybody's on board. Mm-hmm. But like a, a lot of it is. What I, what I spot is, and the question that I get is, you know, what do you do about STIs? Which is why yeah. I added the question to the blog. And what I find is that there's a lot more conversation about it, which is something that didn't really happen in my in my far-flung monogamous past. Yeah. Where we weren't having these conversations because it was weird, it was awkward. Whereas now it's like, I'm interested, you're interested, let's have a, 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 a short and un... And and not really stressful talk about Just like very frank. When was the last time? Yeah, like when, when was the last time, time you were tested, tested or something yeah. and things like yeah. that? What were you tested for? So the, what do you got? What do you don't got? What are you into? <laughs> Interesting. So Interesting. it sounds like the people are more open to just talking about sex in general. Which, yeah, by the way, yeah. I think it's important for people. I mean, like I think a big theme of be. our show is we want sex to be a casual conversation yeah. with people. 100%. And I see that that is being like one of the biggest problems for all of my couples that I'm working with is that sex is so shameful or so scary that they either avoid the topic or they fight about the topic. Oh, yeah. yeah, but if I, but if I'm if I'm dating a bunch of people and they're they're all dating a bunch of people, our sexual health becomes 
more of a priority. Yeah. So we we find ways to have those conversations without it being stressful or off-putting or, you know, something that ruins the mood. Now it's just it's something that starts the mood. Like, hey, if we're having this conversation, <laughs> we're probably going to be getting it in later. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. <laughs> you, that. you might as well talk about it. All right, well, we're sticking yeah. it. We're going to need to wrap up the show. Is there anything you want to plug before we end the show? <laughs> yes and yes. Now it's easy. For, it's I'm very easy to find. My blog is Poly Role Models on Tumblr. I'm Poly Role Models on uh, on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. Um, right now, like the most important thing in my Poly Role Model sphere is the book uh, "Love's Not Colorblind." It releases on March 30th. I'm currently doing a a, a crowdsourcing effort. If you Google. Uh, the loves the loves not colorblind book tour. I plan on going everywhere with that book. I currently have dates secure in New York, Philadelphia, and in the D.C. area. I'm trying to get to the Pacific Northwest. I'm going to be in Vancouver. I'm going to be awesome. speaking in Toronto. I, I'm trying to take this book every single place, all of the time next year. You're global. So <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah. That sounds well, good. Great. Luck with that. That sounds amazing. Yeah. And then, yeah, of course, and, uh, finally, um, any other final plugs you want to put in? I'm sorry? Is, or do you have any final plugs you want to put in? No, no that's, that's, oh, yes. okay, good, good. that's a big one. Sorry, I didn't want yeah, to cut I didn't want to cut into you. All right, and I'm but also just did. putting in a plug <laughs> for my book, too, that my book is Helping Couples Overcome Infidelity, a therapist manual. It's coming out in 2018 in January or February. Awesome. And this awesome. has been the About Sex Podcast with Joshua Skirtu and Angela Skirtu. And thank you all for joining yeah, us. Yeah, thank you, Kevin Patterson. Thank for you for joining us. I really appreciate it. Yeah, thank awesome. you. Good night, everybody. Good night.